Welcome to Angel Lady Movie Talk, where we discuss the issues in our film, Angel Lady, and meet the filmmakers. One of the issues in our film is building community, and building community with the use of the community fridge. Today, we're going to be talking about how to start a fridge with Mike Boyle, the person who got me into this in the first place, and then we will be meeting the other cooks from New Orleans that I cook with. Mike Boyle, mm-hmm. and tell us about yourself. What is your background? Well, my background, I mean, 30 years is nonprofit fundraiser. So I guess I'm used to the charitable aspect of life. And yeah. um, and I always, you know, the, the hard part is always convincing people that they can make a difference. Because right. we tend to get overwhelmed by the size and scope and magnitude of the problems, whether it's hunger or education, you name it. There, yeah. there, that, there's, you know, there's 9,000 good causes out there. Yeah. The, um, so, you know, at the onset of the pandemic, it was clear that, especially in New Orleans, with an economy that is based so much on the hospitality industry. Yes. And the way hospitality, that, that industry was just destroyed, yes. basically, for, for yeah. lack of a better phrase, for, for quite some time yeah. by the pandemic. Yeah. Um, a lot of people lost their jobs. Livelihoods disappeared overnight, really. People that had no idea what hunger was found themselves facing the choice whether to pay rent or buy food. And, you know, for a lot of us, that wasn't, that wasn't acceptable. But the other side of that is, what do I do? You know, right. what can I do to help? And, you know, there were a lot of things that were happening then. Yeah. But, you know, on macro scales and, we, you know, my wife and I did, some, you know, donations and that sort of thing. But we also wanted to do something a little more hands on. Mm-hmm. And that's how, you know, we, we had seen the, the community fridges and that's how we got involved in that. Because, you know, one, we both like to cook and it allowed it gave us a tangible hands on experience with with helping out. And I think that was the important part for us. Well, let's explain what is the purpose of a community fridge. I guess it's it's uh, for me it's twofold. You know, it's obviously is to supply meals for those who need it. There's a lot of food insecurity. I mean, for a lot of reasons. One, you know, the sheer cost of food, economics, but also you know, especially in inner city areas, you know, they, it's a food desert. You know, it's it's hard to get quality food in a lot of those areas, and people don't have cars. Right. So, you know, that's that's tough. But I think it's also a great way to get people involved in their community. I agree. Without a whole lot of heartache and pain. Yeah. I mean, it could be something as simple as making a dozen peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yep. You know, it's not, yep. It doesn't have to be traumatic. It doesn't have to be a dozen chafing dishes. You're not feeding an army. One person isn't going to change the world. But you're going to change one person's world for a night, giving them a meal. I mean, we've done things like that. We've done, you know, we've frozen our leftovers and accumulated them and taken them to the freezer. It might be 15 different sorts of meals, but they're all meals that we were eating. And they're all, it's all good food. But, you know, it's it's something, like I said, it, it gives somebody who doesn't have that need a tangible, hands-on respect. I guess, for the process and what people are going through. And it gives them a, a chance to help. 
where they can actually see the impact. And I think that's the, the thing that's most important. Well, Mike, uh, a number of people over these months who have seen my posts, friends around the country and family want to start their own community fridge. They really are uh, compelled to, to try to set something up. What advice would you have to give them? Where do you start? Um, I guess you need a few things. One, you know, it might help to get a nonprofit involved simply because it's easier to get donations. You know, uh -huh. if you want to get food vendors to provide food, mm -hmm. um, that, that makes things easier for them. But, you know, make sure, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a legal worry. My, my wife's a lawyer. So, yeah. but, you know, always, always be sure of the Good Samaritan laws in your state. Okay. Yeah, that, that's important. You know, we all, all, you know, we've always stressed the, the food safety aspect of it. And I think everybody, you know, it's common sense, but it's something you do need to be sure of. Mm -hmm. uh, that the most important thing, obviously, is to find a host for the refrigerator right. in, in a neighborhood where there's the need. Exactly. So, um, you know, they'll put up, it'll cost them 10 to $15 a month in electricity. Mm -hmm. And, somebody to build a, a shelter for the refrigerator it can be something as simple as you know a, a simple wooden plywood shelter yeah. that's elevated a little bit protected from the elements and yeah. if, if if you're lucky to have enough wood to make a little pantry space for dry goods i uh -huh. mean or, or diapers i mean things like that are, are brutally expensive for a, a young mother or for mm -hmm. young family and then you just build a network of of contributors right and how do you do that how do you do that? Well, what what I did, what did you do? doing it, well, I would post on the neighborhood Facebook pages and to my my you know friends on Facebook that I had just dropped off thirty helpings of red beans and rice or whatever it turned out to be, and I would say where the fridge was and I'd say you know if if you have a need or if you have friends that have need, let them know that, that it's there, mm -hmm. and people in the neighborhood started seeing that and, and I would always get these positive responses. And, you know, that's when you got involved and some yeah. others, what we decided to do is put a call out. And actually, you know, in the summer when people are leaving New Orleans because it's brutally hot, we were running low on people yeah. to, that would actually be able to cook. And I think you put out the, the mm -hmm. call for, yeah. for people to help. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was an insane reaction. So many people jumped on board. Yeah, um, have a person that gets food donated from all over the place. We were getting food from food banks. I mean, I mean, as as you may recall, we got eighty chickens at once. I mean, can, it was. Can you describe to me how did that happen? You did you make the connection with the food bank? Did they hear um, about you? Was, call you? One of the people that had volunteered to help cook for the fridge actually volunteered at that food bank. Right. And she got us in touch with, she got me to get in touch with them. And, and that's how it started. I mean, when they would have extra, and you know, a lot of that extra dried up as inflation kicked in and as there were the tor tornado at New Orleans East. And yeah. that, you know, a lot of people lost jobs and, you know, that sort of thing happened. But uh, you know, as they had extra food, they would contact me, mm -hmm. and I would get it distributed to the other people that were cooking. And there were you know, 
tremendous amounts of, of, of food and, and, you know, really high quality food. I mean, wow. I mean, then proteins are the most expensive, but we would get, you know, 50 pounds of fish fillets and things like that. And it was, you know, it was fun. It was challenging to come up with clever, you know, tasteful, healthy food. But we were, I think we were all pretty successful doing it. Mm-hmm. Talk about the conversations you had with people who came to get the, the food from the fridge. People who, you know. I, I had people come up and say, you know, this fridge is what's keeping me going right now. You know, wow. I lost job with the pandemic and I don't know what I would do for food. Everybody was was always incredibly grateful and they would, you know, explain what was going on. And the, and you know, the interesting thing was people, you know, I would say take take a few meals, you know, so you have them for they almost one hundred percent of the time they would just want something for themselves. Mm-hmm. Because they'd they'd want to be you know, I would have, you know, I'd be dropping off 80 oranges or something like that. So, you know, take a few. But they wouldn't want to because they knew there were people that would need those. And, uh, you know, I was I was touched by that. You know, it was unexpected, I guess. And, and you know, New Orleans is a funny place because you can have incredible wealth live within two blocks of incredible poverty. It's not like a lot of cities that, you know, where there's, you know, large islands of variance. Everybody is really close to New Orleans. Everything is you know, literally, physically, mentally. It's it's a very different city in that regard. So I think in New Orleans, you know, it's it's people you'll see on the parade route. You know, it's that sort of thing. It's it's a, that sort of a, a group. So, but I think it's an enriching experience for the people that participate on the on the cooking side. You'll, you'll realize the difference you're making in people's lives. I mean, especially in summer when school's not going on and kids aren't getting their, their breakfast or, or lunch, it's school lunch programs. I mean, that's that's the only food those kids are going to get sometimes. You know, so one of the things I would do, and it was always easy, you know, I would get a couple of boxes, you know, big boxes, the cases of um, single serving breakfast cereal and the, the shelf Shelf stable milk mm-hmm. doesn't need to be refrigerated, and you know you could do thirty breakfasts, you know, and it would not cost a lot of money. And I mean, again, that's something that's really making it different in a kid's life. Yeah. It's easy. Well, Mike, back to what you were saying in terms of like how much, how much a difference it makes just with, you know, that you don't. You can start very small. You can start with leftovers. You can start with freezing your leftovers. You can start with sandwiches and just make, get a loaf of bread and make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and toss them in. And, but I want, um, you know, I, I want to emphasize the community that we built too and how the cooks interacted because we did, you know, with your help, with your leadership, we did build a network. I'm going to bring in Caroline Forbes now, who is, um, another one of our cooks, Caroline, how are you doing? Thank you so much for coming on and, and letting me interview you and to talk about your work with the Community Fridge. Can we just take a couple minutes and tell us a little bit about your background and then what drew you to the Community Fridge? Sure. Um, I grew up close to here and recently moved back into the area. Um, 
I was a teacher for 25 years and through teaching, you learn very quickly that the needs of the community, including most of our kids, um, often includes food. Yeah. Um, and most people don't see that on a daily basis. As a teacher, you do. Mm -hmm. um, the kids tell you what they go home and eat, and they tell you that they didn't have breakfast and, you know, all of those things. So you know that food um, insecurity is out there and very prevalent. Um, and the fact that I love to cook and I love to take care of people just kind of fits in with that perfectly. Now, you recently made the move to full time to New Orleans. Yes. Mike well left, unfortunately, but you are also around the corner now from me. Yes. What, what, what drew you to live in New Orleans and how did you get involved now with Community Fridge? Um, so what drew me to New Orleans is the culture. Um, people here are friendly, um, for the most part, non-judgmental. Um, you can live in a neighborhood that is extremely diverse, um, which where I lived before just wasn't. Um, so I enjoy that part, the culture, the food, you know, all of all of the above. Um, what drew me to the fridge is, again, because of my background and seeing food insecurity and loving to cook, I'm like, wow. Those two things go together quite well with the fridge. Mm -hmm. um, not only can I enjoy cooking, I can also feed people who need it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, there's no downside to that for me. Well, then let's tell, tell us what is your week like as a cook? How does this happen? Um. You know, I plan out what my husband and I are going to eat for the week. Yeah. And I usually in doing that think, okay, well, we really like this. So if I cook five times the amount that we eat, then I'll put the rest in the fridge. Nice. Um, and that way I combine my cooking for my family with feeding other people. Um, it doesn't take that much more effort to make 25 servings as it does five. Yeah. Yeah. At least for me, that's, I mean, I've never been one to cook a small amount of anything. Yeah. I cook large amounts <laughs> and my husband's like, okay, I've eaten this for two days. I'm done. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> so it yeah. works out perfectly because I can put it in the fridge and he doesn't have to eat it for three to five days and I get to cook. Well, then tell me about your experience putting food in the fridge. Um, what have your interactions been like? Almost every time we go, there's someone there who says thank you, yeah. if not multiple people. Um, they've offered to help me get things out of my car. They've offered to help me throw away any trash I had. Um, they've told me their stories. Yeah. So some of them have told me, you know, my wife's at home and she's ill 
and there's nothing to eat and I, I need to get food for her. Or, you know, this is my only meal for today. So it's, and that's almost every time I go. Yeah. Wow. So the need is definitely there. And, and we are now aware that the SNAP benefits, the extra benefits. Yes. Are going to be peeled away. The, for yes. the, the benefits that were given during the pandemic are going to be peeled away. And, yeah. And I think it, I mean, it's not an insubstantial amount of money. I want to think it's like $95 was the, the supplementary pandemic benefit, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. And, you know, like you said, when, when you're already living on a shoestring, yeah. that's, a, that's a, a tremendous people so i mean the the need to augment people's nutritional intake is is going to be even greater yeah. you know that that money has disappeared from families now and it's going to be you know even tougher i mean prices aren't coming down they are not caroline how do yeah. you cook how do you cook what recipes are your favorite recipes to bring to the fridge it's definitely recipes from my family. So um, growing up in Southern Louisiana, um, you know, cooking jambalaya for me has always been a family event and it's always a large pot. <laughs> um, you know, the same with, I have my dad's recipe for sauce pecan and, you know, cooking all these you know, my mom smothered chicken and rice and gravy and red beans and rice. And all of those things have been family recipes for me. Yeah. Um, so that makes it even better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that, too, what people don't realize is not everyone has the ability to cook. And, you know, going to the food bank and picking up food is one thing. But if you don't have a stove or an oven or a microwave um, or even the vegetable oil or the spices or, you know, all the extra stuff you need to cook, yeah. um, then it, it doesn't really help to have food than a can, right? I mean, if, right. if you can't right. do much with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, and, you know, fortunately for us, we have the resources to Google it and go buy whatever spices we need and pick up an extra pound of sausage or whatever if we need it. Um, not everyone has that ability. Yeah. So to be able to put cooked fruit food in front of someone, I think is a tremendous benefit. I agree. I agree. And it is such a... I mean, there's nothing better than stirring a huge pot of yeah. something. I mean, that's so healing. It's so fun. It's, yeah, we are. So yeah. how, how now we were explaining before, but Mike would be getting, Mike got food from, crates of things from the food bank. And he would take photos of it. And, you know, and just, I mean, God bless you, Mike. And I just like asking people, would you, how much do you want? And then he would drive around. Now you are doing the same thing now, Caroline. You're doing yes. pickup from Julie. Julie across the river does the pickup from Culture Aid. Hopefully she's going to be part of our interview today. And then you put it in the back of your car. 
Yes. And you take photos. And then we all kind of like, oh, I'd like to, oh, I, I can use this. And you yes. that. And what we have is porches. Right? Yes. Yes. Which is different from in New Orleans, right? We we all have porches. Not many people in this country do. Um, so yes, we're able to leave some things on our porches. And I've found that it's completely safe there. Um, you know, when you have a, a sack of potatoes or a box of canned goods, that isn't something someone's going to notice and take. Um, so I've been able to leave stuff on my porch and just leave the gate open and whoever needs it comes by and gets it. Um, and if they can't get by that day, then I put it in my car and run it over to them. The other nice thing about this neighborhood is that we all live within two miles of each other. Yeah. Um, so it makes it very easy to run over to your house and drop something or run over to another cook's house and drop something or pick something up. Yeah. I think if we were advising people, if you can build your organization so that nobody feels overwhelmed with responsibility, but -hmm. they know that there's something that they can do. If they don't cook, they can gather, right? It's amazing that almost every person I tell the story to of I cook for the community fridge, their first response is, wow, I didn't know that existed. And their second response is, how can I help? Wow. So that part to me, (laughs) yes. I, I feel that we're so fortunate. Yes. And the more that we're able to do it, the more I feel I can, I don't know, experience our own fortune. Does that make sense? Yes, because whatever you put out there, you're going to get back. Yeah. And we're putting good stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So it's got to come back to us. Hey, Steve, thank you so much for being willing to talk to us about your experience um, on and off the streets in New Orleans and your experience with the Community Fridge Project. Uh, can Can we start by familiarizing people a little bit with who you are, where did you come from, what was your career, and and how did you end up in New Orleans? Well, I actually was born just south of here and raised on the West Bank, but I've been all over the country. Uh When I moved back last time, I was on St. Charles Avenue by the Burger King, and I had gotten off the bus, and I got robbed. Wow. So every little bit of seed money I had was taken except for $60. I had that hidden in my shoe. So I ended up homeless. Steve, how long ago did that happen? Well, that was in 2015. Mm. It was about one week before the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Oh, man. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. What were you intending to do when, with well, that? What was I, the plan? I had been doing construction around the country. And in the past, I had worked in French Quarter in the restaurants. And I intended to come back and work in the restaurants again. Yeah. Because it's good money. Yeah. Yeah. But that didn't work out. Because all of a sudden you were homeless. Um, yeah. And what people don't well, understand when they look yeah. at a homeless person is this. It's easy to get down there, 
it is a hundred times harder to get back up. So go ahead and explain. Yeah. Well, you know, you can have a life-altering event to put you there. But even with all the programs and all of the well-wishers out there, jumping through hoops, you usually don't have time because you're on foot, number one. Yeah. Number two, I've seen so much corruption in these programs. It's unbelievable. So you're kind of stuck out there. A lot of people just give up. They try so hard for so long, and then they just say, you know, enough, I'm tired of this. The way and then I what leave, happens to them? What happens to them, Steve? They stay on the street. And but still, they've, they've given up. Yeah, I'm still in contact with some people I met when I was on the street. And I try, try to give them information to help them get up and get out. I got fortunate. I was on Church Street. I don't know if you know where that is. Say it again. Church Church Street. You were on Church Okay. And it was, you know, the street running half a block behind was at camp, I believe it was. And I was trying to sleep on my suitcase, and the police pulled up. And the officer was extremely nice. He says, I know you're not bothering anybody, but a resident called, and they called my commander, so I have to write you a ticket. Uh, yeah. Well, well, I understand you have to do your job, sir. And I was cooperative. And he wrote me a ticket, and I had it transferred to what is called homeless court. Yeah. Well, in homeless court, they have resources that a lot of people don't know about. The, uh, DA, the DA will actually put you in touch with people at Unity, and Unity will help you find a place to live but it it takes about six to eight months so you're still you're still sleeping on the street and you're trying to duck and hide so you don't get another ticket and what about the actual your actual physical safety on the street on the street um usually i had seven friends of mine and we all congregated together because there is strength in numbers i see and I would not recommend being alone because while I was on the street, I got stabbed, I got sliced, oh. and I'm I'm ex-military, and it was rough for me. So I can only imagine how it is for somebody. Yeah. Can, can let's let's talk about how did you how did you basically how did you survive because you couldn't work. Right. Um, well, I, I had a job temporarily. But my back went out, so no, I couldn't work after that. Yeah. So what I did is I had to rely on organizations, religious and others around the city, and they helped feed me while my application for disability was being processed. I see. The only problem with these organizations in New Orleans, everybody cooks red beans. So so for everybody out there listening, Please don't cook any more red beans. Yeah. I ate them six days a week. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. You know. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. It, it gets old real quick. It's only supposed to be on Mondays, right? Well, that, that's, you know? that's what they say. That's a tradition. Yes. But won't, a lot of these organizations are Catholic-based, and the only yeah. day of the week that they don't have red beans is Friday. And do you get fish on Friday? Yeah, you might get a piece of fish. Uh-huh. 
So, you know, it gets a little difficult, not to mention um, the problem with gas eating that meat. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's filling, but it's not that nutritious. Either. No, it's not. So, yeah. So that's, you have three meals. I mean, ordinarily people have three meals a day. Were you surviving on one a day? Uh, usually one meal a day. If I got to the Osmond Inn early enough, I could have breakfast, which consisted of stale donuts, grits, and maybe a little bit of egg if you were lucky. Yeah. But the Osmond I will say this, they when they were on Camp Street, they would allow you to go take a shower. Yeah. In the morning. You leave your ID with the man, you go take a shower and you collect your ID on the way out. So that yeah. was a major bonus. Yeah, yeah. Because believe it or not, a lot of people on the street really don't want to be there, and they don't want to smell and look like it. Gosh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Steve, you you said you mentioned to me that 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 you started to you know you you went to the community fridge as a way of getting a break from the monotony yes. of red beans. Yes. Can you tell us more about? Yes, ma'am. Um, when I finally was put into a program called Permanent Supportive Housing yeah. through Homeless Court and the DA's office in Unity, um, I was still waiting for my disability to be approved. So I didn't have money. So I would fly a sign on the side of the road just to get uh, maybe $10, $12 a day. And sometimes you don't even get that. So for about two weeks, I had no food. And I I found out about Community Fridge, and it was on Palmyra. Mm -hmm. And I went down there, and y'all fed me for about two weeks, kept me going. Kept you going for two weeks. So you could go to the fridge every day and get something different. Is that right? Is that how you you made it work for you? By that that point, I was so, so tired of red beans. Sure. And it was like a breath of fresh air when I opened that refrigerator. So nice. And they had had some canned goods and other things like that that I I could take with me. And I really needed that, and I really appreciated that. Can you sort of – you're you're helping us understand more of what people are also looking to eat. Um, If you could just – do you have any advice or direction? You mentioned canned goods. Um, that people could take home and cook on their own. What what other thing was it really great to see in the fridge that you couldn't afford? Well, um, that's hard to say because back then I, I really didn't think too much about it. I was just really happy that I had something. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to do canned goods, you have to remember a lot of people do not have an opener. So I would rec- I would recommend getting the pop top ones. Thank you. Good idea. Yep. And that way they can open it if they're on the street. And, you know, anything with any kind of vegetables is a major plus. Or, you know, even SpaghettiOs, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. You know, something with a different flavor really, really helps. Right. Okay. And drinks? What about that? Well, on the drinks, I would uh, recommend you lay off sugary drinks. Okay. Um, do something antioxidant like uh, iced tea or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and water, then, I imagine. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely water because, well, a lot of people will give you water. You can, I drank so much water I could float. <laughs> Once in a while, you want something different. Yeah. Do you have, did, was, there a, was there a group of people that you saw on a regular basis who also availed themselves of the fridge? Did you sort of get to know people during that time? Or was it yes, pretty much on your own? Actually, the, the way I found out about the fridge was through some of the other people that were in the same boat as I was. Yeah. And I was kind of hesitant to go at first. Um, Why? Well, it was a pride issue. I see. You know, I was kind of ashamed. Of it. Okay. Yeah. But once I went and I saw, you know, I got over that a little bit. And that's part of the reason now that I'm doing better and I have my own place mm -hmm. that I give back and I try to help others. I know you too. Can you, can you, Tell us what you do. Well, what I do in particular is I met somebody that was, that's a great person, Caroline. Yeah. And she wanted to help me because she saw me flying the sign. And I told her, I said, no, I'm not broken. I'm not homeless. I just wanted some fresh air. I might as well make a dollar while I'm doing it. And she laughed and I, she told me about community refrigerators. And I told her, oh, yeah, I know about them. I said, what can I do to help? She went, what do you mean? I said, I've got some extra money. What do you all mean? Because I'd like to help others. So that's how I got started. Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, if it's okay with you, I would like to people to know that you took yourself over to Walmart and, and brought Caroline incredible, I mean, several hundred dollars worth of protein that our cook, that she shared out and our cooks turned into meals. That, that piece of it, Steve, I mean, we were all so incredibly moved and touched by your generosity and, and well, softness. You know, well, I mean, it, let me put um, let me put it this way: I did it because I knew people needed help, and I had extra because God gave me extra. Uh -huh. I don't get I don't get the glory for that. He does, and he <laughs> and as he gives me more, I continue to contribute. Ah, Steve, that's a beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful and inspirational thing. I, 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 I really am. I'm, I'm really excited for people to hear this piece of the podcast because for you to, um, for you to see see the need and take action, and I mean, you're doing a lot just on foot. And, and yeah, I, no, I don't. I, I don't currently have a car. Well, you, you're just a, such a such an example of really good citizenship and, and an incredible heart. Could I ask, what does hunger feel like? Well, you don't want to be hungry. And I learned this when I was hungry. Hunger only lasts for a few hours, and then it goes away. Literally, the feeling goes away. And you don't even realize the next thing you know, it's been three days. Uh -huh. And then restarting your bodily systems can be difficult. Uh -huh. So as far as what would I like to say about hunger, I would like everybody to contact their congressmen and their senators here in the state and let's get the food stamps boosted up so people can actually go get food. Because right now, because I have disability, my food stamps are now only $23 a month. Oh, my God. So, you know, what am I supposed to do with $23? It's kind of, we need to fix yeah. this. We, we, we definitely need to address this. It's, it's scary. 
to think that someone is trying, someone is trying to feed themselves and their children and others. Right, right. You know, that's my major concern is the kids. You know, I put myself at the position from poor planning and things like that, and I got blindsided. But I'm a grown man. I can take care of myself. Mm -hmm. The children can. And the parents struggling to feed them. We need to do more. I agree. Steve, uh, I so appreciate your time and your heart and your honesty. And um, I will, that is a great takeaway to, for us to start writing our congressman and demanding that the food stamp be hiked up again. You know, everything went away. Uh, all of the uh, pandemic extras went away. Right. End of February, and now people are faced with a, a third. There, uh, there's a lot of people faced with food insecurity right now. Yeah. They have never faced it before. Yeah. And we need yeah. to get into this. Yep. Yeah. 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 So write your congressman, find a fridge or start a fridge, and think about um, those who have less. Well, my goal is as soon as I can, I'm going to purchase a fridge for y'all so you can place another one oh thank you i think yeah. that's a great and you, and you know where it should go because you know you know where the need is so cool thank you buddy thank you steve thank you see you out there all right bye allison stock welcome 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 i am so i am so grateful that you are taking the time to sit with us and tell us about your perspective of the community fridge project um, you were instrumental in helping us to to move that fridge from uh, uh, outside of a home on Third Street to outside of Bethlehem Lutheran Church. So that's where I mean I, I'm just so grateful for that because it's worked out so well. So please let's tell people about your background. Where are you from? What what do you do? Sure. So I by training I'm actually a toxicologist and epidemiologist, and okay. I. Grew up, my family is from Mexico, but I've lived in Texas for all my life. And I was, my, my family has been between Louisiana and, um, and Texas for most of, for, I, I don't know, a couple generations back. And I grew up there. I went, kind of moved around for a bit. And my background is in public health. I spent some time at the federal government in public health, and I was the senior epidemiologist for a large oil and gas company. And we ended up coming to New Orleans because my husband, I'm married to an academic. So my husband took a faculty job here and I work in consulting. So it was pretty easy for me to land here and we're not leaving anytime soon. My husband and I both lived in San Antonio right after we first got married. We fell in love with kind of the culture, the vibe, and the same here. It's just such a unique opportunity to be involved in the community. It's got so much history and whether, and that can be good or bad, but it's got yeah. such its own culture and flavor to the city. So it's fun to be here. And you have really dove in the deep end on becoming, um, you know, you're working in the community and really we're and helping to make the city a better place. Can you tell us, how did you start? How What drew you in first? Yeah. So um, my husband and I are members of Bethlehem Lutheran. I was raised Lutheran. My husband was nothing until we got married. And um, Bethlehem is the oldest Black established Lutheran church in the Southeast of the United States. Wow. Um, 
Didn't know that. Yes. So it's, and it has always been in the location that it is right wow. now. We wow. just celebrated, I think it was 143 years in existence. Wow. It was a mission church um, started by the Germans up north in the Minnesota area down to bring Lutheranism to the South. Um, yeah. That is typically not what you see in the South. You either see Baptists and Methodists and a lot of Catholics here in Louisiana. So Bethlehem is an old church. They have had, since their founding, a very active presence in the community. Um, that was really hard for the church because they lost two-thirds of their population during Katrina. Um, where people oh moved away, didn't wow. come back. We had dust. We had all kinds of things hit that church. And so it was really hard to reestablish that church in the neighborhood. The congregation was not heavily involved in the neighborhood after Katrina. Yeah. Um, the church has been going, when we moved here in 2016, yeah. The church was starting its redevelopment process. And so one of the things that we've thought about is what do we need to do to be part of this community? Because we don't see the church as being a closed wall. We see it as being really part of the community. So we had talked about a community meal. We And we thought it would be a kind of great way to meet our neighbors, do once a month, those kinds of things. And Allison, could you describe the neighborhood? Sure. Yeah, um, the church is in. Sure. Central City is an old working class neighborhood in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, it has, as far back as the establishment of the neighborhood, even prior to the church being built in the 18, I think it was 1880s, late, early, late 1870s, early 1880s. Even prior to that, it was a very mixed race neighborhood. However, very much a working class neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, it is still, I would say a majority black neighborhood. Um, and many of the people that were at our church were and lived in the neighborhood, grew up in the neighborhood. Um, I live in Milan. And so it's very funny because, which is a, just across a major street from the church area. And there's people who grew up on my side. There's people who grew up on the other side in their church that are now into their 70s and 80s. And they talk about how the neighborhood was when they were younger. Yeah. But it's always been a very much working class neighborhood where people who may be working as a maid, may be doing housekeeping now for the hotels. Um, we have a lot of people who had hourly rate jobs in the neighborhood and COVID was a huge blow to them. Okay. So that's when the community meals really were instituted. Is that right? That's correct. It yeah. was, it, we were supposed to start our first monthly community meal the Sunday after, right after the governor closed everything down. Oh my gosh. So Pastor Ben came to us and said, can you pivot and turn this into something else? And can we do this as a to-go meal? Hmm. And we started doing to-go meals um, and eventually, and, and it was, it was great because there's a local grocery, the grocery store chain called Robert's Fresh Market. Robert's gave us a great rate on fried chicken. So we would do fried chicken and chips and a drink um, kind of thing that 
or something easy that we could get into a bag and get out and we would do it on Sundays. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, it was great. And, And people knew that it was going to be done for them. And that idea has kind of grown on its own. Um, we hired a chef who unfortunately just has decided to leave us, but I think it was the right thing for her because she has other endeavors going on. Um, we are now serving three, we're serving four meals a week, two of those with partners and two of those with the church cooking that cooking them. And it has the first two years that we were doing the meals, it was a lot easier because there was a lot of relief grants that were out there. There was ways to fund it easily. And last year, um, the last quarter of last year in the beginning of this year has really put a dent in the budget. Um, I think we're about 50,000 in the hole on the, on the program because it is so cost um, intensive for the church. And this is a very small church. Our operating budget since I've been there has been about $150,000 and that pays for a pastor. And you, oh my God. Yeah. So it's this is a very tiny way. church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we want to be involved with our neighbors. So we're looking at ways to sort of change the program and that's where the community fridge comes in. What what does the community fridge do? That how what how do we help you? So the community fridge helps us in a couple of ways. One was up until the, the fridge being moved, we were running food all over the city to multiple community fridges. We had leftovers at the end of our meal service. I was driving. Um, other folks were driving during the week. I was driving on Saturdays. I was driving all the way up to Mid City. I was driving to St. Claude to put stuff into community fridges. And my family, my husband's a social worker by training, and my husband also wanted to be heavily involved. So the fridge has been, a, the community fridges in general have been something that we can get involved in as a family in a way mm-hmm. differently than we can for the Bethlehem meals. But the other thing is we are rewriting and changing how community table works at Bethlehem. So we're hoping to have more restaurant partners, yes. which means that that fridge is, is we see as a very viable, very important part of the community and part of our outreach, because we're not going to be able to continue at the same pace we are because we've lost some of the grant funding that was there for emergency relief under COVID. Let's talk about food insecurity. The pandemic era time supplements that were given at the state levels has dried up. Um, and, that, and that really, in many ways, really supposed was supposed to be a stopgap because people yeah. weren't working. Right. However, what we pay in benefits to people, no one's going to get rich on in Louisiana. Um, Louisiana has one of the lowest rates of unemployment insurance. Louisiana has one of the lowest rates of benefits all around. So if you're you're a single person, your benefits have gone back down to $87 a month. To eat. To eat. So $87 a month to eat is what, if you are on some type of financial aid or financial assistance and 
you get $87 a month if you're single. So if you think about some of the elderly people that I have that go to that go to the church who live next door, yeah. there's Miss Linda who lives right next door to the, the church and who's then, on disability. Her assistant, she still gets her disability check, but she's only getting seven eighty-seven dollars to help cover food. So the need for that refrigerator and the need for the community refrigerators as a whole is huge among the city. Mm-hmm. It's important also to know that many cities have these fridges in places that are barriers to getting food out of them. So New Orleans is somewhat unique. Um, a lot of the other loca- other cities, especially Houston, I can, I can talk mostly about the Houston system. Sure. They're tied to agencies. So you have to walk in the door to that agency and to the left will be the refrigerator and the pantry and you can help yourself, but you can only go when that place is open. Yeah. 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 Our fridges in New Orleans are really set up to be open 24-7. Yeah. It's take what you can use, leave some for others. And mm-hmm. um, I'm part of a another organization that's a 501, just got our 501c3, which is also really great for the fridge cooks for this fridge, because if we do get donations, we can funnel it through them right. specifically for this community fridge. Right. Um, and we maintain, that organization maintains seven community fridges in between the lower ninth and um, Treme. Right. So those fridges are a huge piece to our, our city not starving. Right. right. The other thing to know is that we are not fully as a city staffed the way we were pre-pandemic. So I have talked to quite a few friends who work um, sort of in hourly jobs at places like the Casino Hotel or another nice hotel downtown. And their housekeeping jobs are about half to two thirds of what they were pre-pandemic. Wow. So they're not going to qualify for assistance and benefits. Wow. Because they're making enough to put them over the poverty line here in Louisiana. So they won't get those benefits, but they're going to not make their, they're going to pay rent over paying for food. Right. Right. So what would be, um, what could we ask from the world at large? What would you ask from the community? What would help the fridge? What would help what you're doing? I think there's a couple of things that would help. The first is write your your lawmakers. Let your lawmakers know that food is a human right. Everyone needs to be able to eat something. And that I think that's really important that people understand what actually happens versus the myth of what happens. I work with some individuals and I was overhearing some of them the other day and one of them, I love him, but he's a little wacky and was spouting some conspiracy theories on how you're going to get rich on welfare. And I was like, not Louisiana, because here's the numbers. Yeah, <laughs> Let yeah. me walk you through the numbers of what you're going to get here. And uh-huh. that's not going to happen. So having some of that change at the both the federal and state level to those benefits would be really helpful. Yes. Because my idea is that one day we don't need a fridge. Yeah. One day that there's enough food and enough resources that everyone can go home and have food in their belly. And it may not be the exactly what you wanted to eat that night, but you've got food and it's nutritious and you're doing okay. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is get involved in your community. Yeah. If you don't have time, donate resources. So we're always looking for donations towards the fridge. Right. Sherry, you've done an amazing job in getting resources and sponsorship for things like containers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and people, people are, they're expensive, which is really, you know, that's a drawback. But the beauty of having these containers is that we can, I can toss it to somebody, uh, some to a, a couple down the street who are having a big party and say, hey, if you have leftovers, there's the containers. I'll take it to the fridge. You know. That's right. And yeah. the other kind of cool thing about that, um, and and I don't even know if people realize this, but when we used to do our meals at Bethlehem, and we still do it this way, I'm just you know thinking about the future. When we set up our meals at Bethlehem, we try to put a meal out between three twenty-five and three dollars and fifty cents. Wow. That includes packaging. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. And packaging is of that is at least a third to a half of that food, that meal cost, because yes. the packaging is incredibly expensive. That's exactly right. But what about the food? What about actually going through your pantry? Are there are there just small things that somebody could do? Absolutely. And bringing stuff to any of the community pantries, many of the community fridges have yeah. pantries. The only ask I have is when you're going to clean out your pantry, one, make sure it's not expired. Um, I got a bag donation and half the canned goods expired in 2019. And I yikes. went, yeah, yikes, right? Yeah. And I do yeah. food safety for a lot, a good portion of my business for my real living is food yes. safety. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's a little, you know, three months on a canned good I'm okay with. But a couple of years, no, we're tossing it. Um, So check to make sure it's not expired. The other thing is just remember that the neighborhood you're taking this item to. So maybe those really weird sauces, they they may sit there for a while because, you know, somebody sent you this amazing gift basket that had all these great sauces in it, but you're not going to eat them and they may not be eaten either in the neighborhood. Right. But what I, what I have always done since I was a little girl, because my mother started this practice, I grew up, um, with parents who were very active in the community. My mother was part of the League of Women Voters, if, if you know what that organization is. Oh, my is. mother as well, of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, my mother marched for ERA. I have her ERA bracelet. But one of the things that she established when I was young is that every time we went to the grocery store, and my parents had very little money. This was actually a little bit of a hardship for them. But my mother would buy a couple dollars worth of staples and those went to a community food pantry wow. or an outreach organization that she found in our little bitty town. And I think if you, if people think about taking five, $10 out of their, their weekly grocery budget and just picking up a couple items yeah, yeah, and leaving yeah. them there, that's great. And it doesn't always have to be food. Cleaning products are extremely expensive. And so one of the things I've learned from talking to people in the neighborhood is cleaning products are great. Yeah. Feminine hygiene products are great. Deodorants are great. Um, toothpaste is always good because those are things that get set to the side because one, food stamps doesn't always cover them. Wow. And two, they're also high value, high ticket items at the grocery store. Sure. Sure. 
So it's cheaper to buy a bag of flour than it is to buy a tube of toothpaste. And if you're trying to survive on less than $100 a month, where, where does that come from? I, that's very, very helpful to know that. It's very And also helpful. pet food is good ah, too, good because idea. many people have pets and it's yes. very expensive right now. Yeah. Oh, and that $87 that it's going down to does not cover any type of pet food. Okay. So it sounds like there's a lot that people could do just on a we on a weekly basis of just picking up a few items and then dropping them off at the shelves and it would make a huge difference especially now especially now that we are so um that people are so stretched but Allison is, is the, before we sign off is there some wish that you have something that you just want to express about this the work that you're doing in the food and food insecurity and the mission I think what I'd really want, and I've worked in Africa and I've worked in really poor countries that their GDP is well below anything we would have in a month or two here in the United States. Food insecurity, I can see in those locations. We're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And to me, food is a human right, along with shelter. And um, sorry about that. I have a dog who's barking for a reason. But shelter is a big part of that. And so is food. And I think my takeaway is, can people get involved in a way to help their community where they are? If they're in New York City, or if you're in Oregon, or you're even in Minnesota, there are things you can do and organize a community fridge. Think about things you can do personally, or as a family or with your, your partner or yourself to help solve some of those food insecurity issues that we have. Yeah, because hunger is a, it's a terrible thing. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And what's really sad in the United States is that we still have people who die from malnutrition and they're dying from malnutrition, not because they aren't necessarily getting to eat, but they're not getting to eat things that are great for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Allison Stock, thank you so much. I'm so glad to work with you. I'm so glad. We're it's so fun to work with you too, Sherry. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Please visit our website, angelladymovie.com, to find out more about our guest and our film. And please do subscribe to this podcast. There's a lot more great Angel Lady Movie Talk to come.